accidentally. Yeah. Sat there, so so. we're doing another episode. Hello there. Episode it's so five. It's, uh, it's a joy to have uh, so many episodes. This is uh, an important number now that we've reached five. How? Why so? Well, it means that we've been asked enough to get past four hours. <laughs> Yeah, and I suppose feel that's that there's true. enough credibility in the idea of us doing a podcast to mm. uh, carry it on. Yeah, although there isn't really a theme to the podcast, is there? That's what I think we could improve on. Yeah, there it's, is. It's it's general it's shit. general pub banter oh. on different topics. And I've sworn already. I said I wouldn't, but sorry. Yes, <laughs> it's all right. I told you off about that last time. I I mean, we have talked about doing a science comedy podcast as well, but. I think we both find it difficult to find the time to put in the extra research. That Not that at the moment, involve. but uh, when we thought of it, yes, we did. Mm. Have a little time. So that I'm can not happen. Watch this space, folks. We realise Jeremy Bantar is light on the Jeremy and heavy on the Bantar <laughs> at the minute. Yes. But, but we, we aim to balance that out and have it even on the Jeremy. And life yeah. on the Bantar soon. And to that end, we're going to talk about large nests today. Yes. Um, Which I hadn't picked a word that was nests. Nests. To say. Um, of which there are there are many. It's, it's the way the birds live. They enjoy being up there, combining it's twigs and other bits of crap that. into leaves. They into into their homes. Um. Which we, we've given up on as a species, which some would say you know unfortunately. Like, I've, I've only just realised that we have really shot ourselves in the foot. We could have talked about bird's nest soup. We could have talked about the uh, long-tailed tits that make nests out of uh, spider webs and moss. Yeah. Could have talked about all sorts of things. That, and that's exactly but, what we're going to talk about. No, because they are all small nests. No, we can talk about small nests too. No, we can't. Large no. is all a matter of perspective, my friend. <laughs> yes. It's uh, what may be large to it's large to them. All right, okay, fine. You know, a dormouse in a dormouse nest has ample room for the way that they weave their uh, that's amazing little globes with the with the inlets. I mean, technically, isn't a beaver dam a nest? It's all twigs yeah. crudely assembled into a. That's a large nest. We can talk about beaver dams. That's beaver fine. dams. I refuse to talk any further on anything that I consider small. And that well, any reasonable you person to, would consider small. You need to reframe your life then, my friend. <laughs> Embrace the tiny. Maybe, but not in a conversation that is meant to be about large things. Okay. Because I have integrity. Um, have you seen they've reintroduced beavers back into the UK? Yeah, it's been done a couple of times now, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, but properly this time. I think oh, the, the previous efforts have been a bit half... half oh, they're always half arsed, aren't they? Yeah, um... I read a book recently. I can't stop swearing, can you? Who's wilding by? Let me check. Do recommend it. It's um, it's based on an area that um was farmland in Sussex, and they uh, yeah they they were struggling financially. Even when there were good years of crops, it was just a struggle to keep it going because farming is a just such a tough industry at the moment. Yeah, Um, more so so than it. Isabella Tree wrote it as she lives there. Um, so they wrote a book called Wilding, and it's and it's literally about just you know 
minimal maintenance, just giving it up and okay. um, completely forgotten what my point was. There was going to be a point. It was going to lead to large nests, but I can't large think nests. of it now. Sorry. There, were there beavers involved? That's large. it. Yes, they wanted beavers. but um, I'm a genius. Well, yeah. Everybody wants beavers, mate. Thank God. <laughs> you just can't get them all the time. <laughs> we already have um, <clears throat> dived to the depths of that level of conversation. We have. You brought it up. Yeah. So on the subject of beaver. Uh, um, yeah, I've got something to add on this, actually. My favourite book in the world, which I'd like to recommend, which is in the same subject, um, Three Against the Wilderness by Eric Collier. Lovely book. And that is exactly that. It's the story of beavers. reintroducing beavers into the Canadian wilderness. Um, and everything. They're trappers by nature. And... Uh, them looking after and feeding all the moose, the dangers and the perils they get into, and eventually... And the thing that strikes me about that is, A, their balance with nature, that everything is handmade. You know, you settle in an area and you build your cabin from scratch, yeah. and you have the skills to do that, and then you build all of your tools. And maybe you buy mm. a few things from the local post station, but, you know, it, they started off as two against the wilderness and then became three against the wilderness, and then, you know... The, the natural passing of time and the sun has to go off to university and you wonder what happens to the sun and whether he becomes a trapper still. Uh, oh, I, thought, I thought he was going to say that um, they, you know, a hundred years later they're all fantastically inbred because they refused to, they just Adam and Eve did. No, day one. no, it was literally just them. And, and B, I think what surprised me was still, even though they were very remote, was sort of the, the community and the connectedness of the time. You know, people out there still knew that they were there, what they were doing and People would come to visit them and offer help like a pair of beavers to the project that got them started out. And it was very much that he, he was one of the first people to realise, because we're talking 1932 here, people, ecology wasn't a word, right? Mm. Before the, I mean, it was, but, you know, people more prioritised in, like, settling out what was the right mode of society and getting ourselves into a world war over it. Yeah, um, well, and manufacturing, it was still the thing to... You know, advance that and push technology and yeah. create more intensive. And yeah, of course, the world wars um, caused very intensive and, use of land. And by that point, even 1930, it was obvious that the the ecological harmony of the air is very much out of balance. And and the the dams, like the water that was there, had dried up when the beavers had all been killed by the non-natives, obviously coming in and shooting and shooting everything for fur. Because beaver, yeah. uh, beaver pelt was a high price. Um, it's still a price of beaver now. Yeah. yeah every, everybody wants their beaver fur hats and their beaver fur underwear, I guess. And to use their tails as like ice cream scoops. Or, <laughs> I don't know. I can't really see what would be useful on a beaver, particularly that's waterproof oh, it, down. It's just, it's just fur, isn't it? Yeah. <clears throat> just, um, I suppose you could eat them as well. That's probably what they did. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say much more on the subject. Uh, he and obviously reintroducing the beavers was the thing that the area needed to, to become more waterlogged, and that that boosted its biodiversity greatly. And he was the first to sort of uh, realize and implement that. Uh, it's a fantastic book, mostly because it's just incredibly well written, um, but by standards that for somebody that wasn't a technical writer. Um, yeah, I, I'd recommend it. What's your favorite book? My favorite book. Um, don't know. Um, 
some of the Terry Pratchett's, I would say, on the fictional mm. side, and on the non-fiction, it's that one I lent you a while ago about um, a biogenesis. That oh was, yeah, that was... I need to give that back. Actually, sorry, you I have finished it. Yet. <laughs> you have given it back. Stolen a lot of your books over the time. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it was interesting how beavers would build up their dams and that would rearrange the waterways and etc. There'd be a good board game in that, wouldn't there? I suppose it would. Yeah, that's, there's an idea in that. Yeah. Uh, what surprised me when I was reading this book that they hadn't been allowed to have beavers reintroduced, but they talked about it and the pros that it would bring. Hmm. Um, it Why surprised that? that? Sorry? Why were they not allowed? Because the um, whoever... WWF or whoever is um, in charge of that sort of thing, they're just scared. You know, just reintroduction is scary. <laughs> I just imagine uh, like the the head of the, the society just like every night. It's like no, no. There's all these nippy <laughs> little nightmare beavers coming like beavers in his dreams. Yeah, drag him through the forest and like float him off down the river. Stop it! They're just there nibbling with the yeah. claws in his face. Have you ever seen any? Yeah, actually, um, there's, <laughs> and you can tell this is exactly the sort of place that Kenny would take me on a date. We went to a beaver sanctuary, which is You're a um, guy. It's near the N25 somewhere down really? south. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's in this oh, country. So I could go and visit it. I mean, you could go and see minute. the beavers. Yeah, I could go and see the beavers. Nice. Yeah. I, I I personally think beavers look really stupid. They do. There's no doubt in that. Yeah. I, I I saw them once in the Montreal Biodome, first and only time I've seen yeah. them. And it was this great section where you're sort of underneath the water. So you mm. can see them swimming, but you can see them at the water's, uh, uh, what would you, you know, um, edge up yeah. against the glass. And just the way they swim, they look, they've got their hands up to their face and they've got this really silly expression on their eyes. And like the, the mouth is slightly open, they look gormless as hell. Yeah, they're sort of swimming along, they're swimming along with their tail wagging, going ooh, uh, and uh, I couldn't take them seriously. No, no, I've I've that trouble with a lot of animals. Mm. Um, but yeah, like it, it's sort of conceived that they're very destructive because they just you know chop down everything and, and make everything flood, which on the face of it sounds awful. But you know <laughs> they are an important part of the ecology of any sort of temperate area. Can't have and, creation without a lot of destruction, and they bring water. That's it, right? That's what things need. They bring the water. Yeah. I can't remember the specifics, but the fact that they flood an area encourages something which is good for biodiversity. I can't remember yeah. what exactly. Maybe it's just because by flooding it, it reduces humans. We've seen at the minute reducing humans is a good thing for increasing wildlife. <laughs> yeah, maybe. So that's it. Yeah. We should just flood the cities. Yeah. Introduce beavers into the cities, into the like Thames. Mitch once said, kill flood the London. Dam up London with beavers to flood London. All the humans will leave and all the animals will come in. No, you know what? Restored. If, if I, I know anything about Londoners, it will take more than merely flooding them out of their homes <laughs> to move out of London. Oh, I hate this grey shithole I've and got, this massive rent. I've got, an arti- I've got an artisanal flood in my back garden. <laughs> I've decorated yes, it, it with it's the flood. sequins and... Uh, and, and paint, water, paint in the water to make it really beautiful. And I go and splash around in it every morning. They'll make detritus um, and I gain my cholera, my, my artisanal yeah. cholera. It'll be flood water coffee, won't it? That would be <laughs> They just scoop it on out and add a few beans yeah. to it. So That's it. And, um, nutty and flavour. The, the flood water brewery. 
Yeah. John John Snow would be proud. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I, I could see that. I, yeah. I could see people taking it a big way. Um, we're not sponsored by Greenpeace. We don't condone this, I must say. This is probably exactly the kind of thing they're discussing in reality on the Greenpeace podcast right now. We're also not endorsed by uh, Floodwater <laughs> Brewery, no. Floodwater Coffee, or Jon Snow. No, or, or any, any kind of uh, Floodwater-related enterprises that may or may not grow up in London or the Lake District <laughs> over the coming decade. As flooding becomes more prevalent. I I reckon as more things get flooded from climate change, we'll actually be annoyed that we've brought in beavers to the country. It's like, well, they're not helping, are they? (laughs) They're just adding to the problem and making more things flood. And that's the last thing we need (laughs) right now. And then we'll ship them off back again. So where? Where where do they come from? Beaverland. Beaverland, okay. Yeah, we put them around the M25. Um, And then we'll be actively looking for animals that can create drought. So what does that what, humans, what humans are pretty excessive good amounts of water? Uh, blowfish, pufferfish, they consume an excess of water. Do they? Well, there you go. Then we're going to have to import pufferfish to some areas and beavers to other areas, and hope that they don't fight. Or the boundaries <laughs> where they do fight, then that keeps them in balance for the area where we need to counteract the drought and the flooding. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, that's it. That's problem solved. Ecology, <laughs> Lewis. We, we, we're coming up with all sorts of innovative solutions in this thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, beaver, pod, beaver, pufferfish fight years. Yeah. And see, this is what I was talking about when I said I believe in our ability to talk nonsense. I was going to say shit, but I realised I'm not allowed to swear. No, you're not. Um, yeah, we can, we can come up with nonsense. And that's why you, the dear listener... Here. Oh, do you know what? We forgot to mention Tom from Ipswich last time. That was a thing we used to do, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Is, is he, how is he going to help out this uh, beaver-related scenario? Is he going to be the person responsible for bringing the pufferfish, maybe? Yeah, maybe that's his thing. He's a dealer. He's a pufferfish dealer. <laughs> I'm just imagining he's got a jacket lined with pufferfish now. I suppose what's important about yeah. Tom from Ipswich is that he is selectively breeding pufferfish to be resilient to fresh water because of course they're marine yeah and if they're flooding in a, you know inland areas that's that strange be because that sounds like something i'd expect you to do not tom from ipswich yeah <laughs> maybe you could give him a hand with it i've never actually kept fish oh yeah well you need to remedy that is that because kelly doesn't like them it's because i don't really care be nice. I'm, I'm not in you don't tanks, really care i've seen you crying at nature documentaries with fish in it mate <laughs> don't care oh man I, I care about the fish I don't care about keeping them in a tank okay you want them to be free splishing, splashing around the oceans do you it's not so much that it's more that dad had a tank for most of my life and it's quite a big tank so I guess big impressive tanks are just I got big and tanks and like... I cannot lie my tanks I cannot is that why you're also an anti-war protester you don't like what, big tanks was, in general. Because my dad was such a war protester. No, because you don't like big tanks. Oh, up with big yeah. Tanks. Okay. <laughs> you, you, anti-war and anti-fish tank. And anti-bath bomb. Anti-bath. Thanks for and that, an, by the way. Anti, anti-loft water. Yes. Yes. I don't like loft water. Loft, no loft water for you. No. Which kind of goes against your ecological bent, but never mind. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, I don't live in London. I want to flood London, um, but no way. Anti, anti, anti-hospital oxygen, which is very controversial at the minute. Did, <laughs> did I say that? No. But if you're taking oh. your anti-tank philosophy to a logical extreme. Oh, I see. <laughs> right, okay, yeah. A real purist of any form of any tanking. Any form of tank. And you don't like the Japanese jazz group <laughs> by the same name, which is a shame because they're good. Japanese jazz called Tank sounds like yeah. something I really want to try. They are, they did, I don't know if you've seen the Cowboy Bebop anime. No. Oh, you should watch that because then you will hear the starting theme, which is done, which is played by Tank. It's good, it's good baseline. Because honestly, the baseline. anime is the thing that I'm most culturally ignorant about. Well, that's all right. Full stop. I don't, Probably I don't, I've I'm never seen more... any, I don't think. I, I won't divert this podcast. It's becoming nicely ecological into me going on about anime for a while. So, still, we're still... There's a lot of uh, crap out there, let's say that. There's a lot absolutely of hair-fine, tenuous link to beavers, which have large nests. So we're okay. Do continue. Um, there's, there's some good stuff, too. I wouldn't rule it out as a genre. No, maybe if there I'm... was a maybe if there was a, a anime about the life of a beaver, they tend to focus <laughs> more on um, tanuki. There's there's a famous one by Studio Ghibli called My Neighbor the Yamadas, that's a bit like that. It's tanukis, which is uh, um, what they call um, you know, um, I forget the name of things. Let's move on. So Let's Phil, on. what was the world's yeah. largest nest ever? Oh, if I remember rightly, it was two tons in America. Yeah. Because you cheated, you researched it, and you told yeah, me. Yeah, well, that's an interesting question. <laughs> I just... I've the biggest nest I've ever seen. That's more interesting. Okay, where was that then? Well, I'll tell you, Lewis. I saw large stock nests in Portugal. There's, um, there's a bit of a problem over there, probably elsewhere as well, where storks perch on top of any chimney stack or anything they can find that's got a little bit of elevation, they just put a massive bloody nest on top of it and block things up. It's very annoying. But as a tourist, it's great to see because we don't have anything like that in this country. There, no, we, that's not true, actually. Just last week, they reintroduced storks into a place in West Sussex. Reintroduced? Cool. Yeah, I know. Um, the, the black storks, I think. The white ones, can't remember. It's fine. They're all accepted here. Um, and they have, they think they're going to have the first successfully bred stork chick in England since about 1412. Jesus. I know. But why? They're not like a missing species. They, they? were. Yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah, there's a few places around the UK that are specifically named the storks that used to be there. We just yeah. hunted them before anything else, or they, they yeah. buggered off to the rest of Europe because they realised quite early on they were smart that it's not the best country to be in. No, fair enough. Um, I just thought should there vagrants. No, no, we have now a breeding population of storks in the UK. Yeah. That's cool. I just look at them and I think they look exotic. I think like even Portugal seems quite north for them, but that's yeah. just my No, they're, they're nice birds. I, I don't think I've... I've seen them once in um, Sweden. Common in Europe, oh, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, they are quite common in Europe. I've seen them in France and Portugal, probably Spain as well. Yeah. You're a real stalkmeister. Oh, yeah. 
Stock Master Phil. I'm not a Twitcher until I go on holiday, and then and then I go on no, a holiday no, to no. see a bird. You're not a Twitcher. You're a stalker. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is the best joke of the series so far. Thank you. That's very good. Have you ever seen a great bustard? I think I have once. Yeah, I do like yeah. bustards, mostly because now, of their name. I um, have to disagree with you. It's another thing I'm anti. Oh. Um, I saw Great Bustards, and it was in one of these wildlife parks, probably with the beavers. They're very uh, large. I think I've seen one flying, and I was amazed it managed to keep its own body up, to be honest. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, they're, they're nice-looking things, but um, yeah. I was... I can't remember what wildlife park I was in, but it, I, was, I was at this place, and there was a little um, little clutch of them that they were trying to breed, you know, with the intention of reintroduction, because that's another thing we hunted to death. A very long time ago in this country, and is in a, you know, an endemic species. Um, but I could not get over the fact that all of these, like you know, because you go to these zoos and parks and stuff, and they've got um, massive signs and boards all like you know, explaining their ecology and their habits and that sort of thing. It was just explaining how shit they are as a species. How they like take too long to get adult. They've got very low fertility. Their chick retention is terrible. Um, and their mortality rate is very high and they're susceptible to disease. So, I don't know how much this is true, but I'm just giving the impression that... that you're kind of explaining to me... Yeah, the information they display... They're potentially... They the, deserved it. Yeah. Pandas of the bird world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I can't remember the facts themselves, but you know, suffice to say, there was a lot of evidence that they um, would have died out without our help. Okay. And why are we making such an effort to introduce them? Humans... We're not so bad after all. That's our, that's <laughs> yes, that could be our tagline for the aliens. We've got large nests, haven't we? Yeah, we have. I just want to shout out to Lewis's absolutely seamless editing abilities. Um, you won't have noticed at all, but um, we have actually stopped and started again. Uh, right, let's talk about large nests again. We're going to talk about houses, won't we? Now, I didn't have any more than that. I had large nests. We've got large nests. Okay. It's true. I thought you um, were leading somewhere with that one. It yeah. might have done, but I've Not intentionally many stopped it. Some people do have just, large just, nests. Some people have very small nests. You know, um, just because we're lucky enough to be <laughs> in a reasonably comfortable area where the nests are, you know, we, and we weren't born to be living in a squalid hovel. <laughs> if anything, for most of humanity, the nests have been relatively small by comparison to our body size. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. We would have built them larger. I mean... That's the thing. In a natural world, very few birds build themselves into squalid poverty, do they? <laughs> if they need a larger nest size, they just Get build it themselves. Which I, I guess comes back to my thoughts of Eric Collier and how he was just happy to up and build his own cabin. Yeah, if he needs cool. more space, we'll then just cut down some more trees and logs. And uh, we're, we're sort of removed from that natural cycle of being able to build our own nests, whether economically or or through lack of practical knowledge or means and resources, if everyone were to build a lock Not actually, because there's there's a strange divide, isn't there? People, like, especially when you talk, this will make sense, I promise, but like when people talk about how cruel it is to keep pets or animals in zoos, and you think, fine, yes, but we've got all these extra things that they are just, you know, in any, no matter how bad of life is, they never have to think about the law, or mortgages, or money, or debt, or loans, or social pressure, like any of these things that humans have to put up with. 
And I think that does, um, you know, Large Nest is an example of that, isn't it? We can't just build a massive house, which is the right of any other animal on the planet to build a house, however it sees fit, wherever Without it sees Without a mortgage. Fit. Yeah. Um, Philip Birchall, Mortgage Liberation Front, 2020. <laughs> yes. Careful, man, you start the revolution. Absolutely. Well, I'm happy to start that revolution. That's a fine revolution to start. Um, anyway, my broader point is, like, you know, why is it that, you know, it's considered cruel to keep things in cages when they, in doing so, they are removed from all of their pressures and they still don't have all of our pressures, so they have none. Are you saying that we should give um, zoo animals a mortgage? Because I'm for this. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a great idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I reckon the zebras. Each. I mean, there's more zebras in the closure, but then again, they've got a lot of land. Maybe they, they just have to pay a a fee. To be honest, wouldn't you say that the zebras and the animals are prostituting out the money that would be made? You know, it's a lot of the money from the entrance fees are going to them, right? Some of it is in feed. Yeah, a lot yeah. of it's going to the upkeep and the profits of the zoo and the people working there. So, so they kind of are paying a rent. They're paying a tithe. Which in, is a very in a sense, old fashioned. The arseholes mortgage. are subletting, aren't they? Yeah. So, like, so actually, animals in zoos do have to put up with those. They've got to pay rent like everyone else. It's just bills inclusive and food inclusive. It's like the cushiest student housing deal you yes. can find. Yeah, but but the zebra but students if it, don't get if it, if, if it could if it did have the sentience to do so, it go. I'm not doing that anymore, and it would get everything for free anyway. So it's not necessarily. It what, can, be it might have to fight other. Might have to fight other zebras for them. <laughs> All those things, you know. It, it gets a definite, you know, allowed allotted amount of food. It's never going to starve. It's never going to be hunted on by a predator. It, it gets a free ride, but it has to. But then again, it doesn't doesn't get to keep its capital. I'm sure students would pick up this this arrangement as well if people were happy to go and see students in student accommodation <laughs> as, a, as a good day yeah, out yeah. of viewing. Look at the human on the PlayStation there in its natural habitat, <laughs> eating cheesos and slobbing around on a, on a um, beanbag. Yeah. And animals are more entertaining in general. Although animals in zoos generally do that. They, they do their own version of slobbing around on a beanbag. Yeah. Where they, they'll hide Switch. at the back of the cage and like occasionally make a noise but I don't know you can go to a zoo and be very disappointed from my own experience in having seen mostly the backside of a lot of animals with any <laughs> lots of cues we, we, we did quite well we, we got um, year passes to a zoo and it was good because you got to see different things every time like you know you go to a zoo once a year and like it's, yeah, usually you go once a year, don't you? And then as a kid or whatever, and you see something do something, and that's great. Um, but then something different will do something next time, and that first thing will be doing nothing. So, it, like, if you go regularly throughout a year, several times, you do see, you know, a wide range of behaviour. It will be the odd things that surprise you, like the fish will do something cool, but the penguins will do non nothing of interest. What What is a cool thing that a fish does? I can't. Think of one. I'm just making an example. Okay, I think the coolest thing in my mind a fish could do is jump out of the water, do a double backflip at the same point that it catches a sunbeam, 
that reflects off nearby raindrops causing a rainbow effect around itself and the rest of the tank and then gracefully splash back into the water on the double backflip. It's uh, fantastical. Yeah. I don't think you're really going to see that. What you will see is, and we're coming back to pufferfish again, if you uh, think back to episode four, there's that pufferfish that um, creates that amazing that was, spot. That was this episode, Phil. It just feels like an eternity. <laughs> <laughs> was it really? Yeah. <laughs> okay, fine. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, it was, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 Sorry, yeah. Um, not episode four, just scroll back ten minutes. Um, but yeah, they, they lay a, um, a sort of complicated ring of sand and stones to attract okay. a mate. And that's, I would call that a large nest. That is a large nest, yeah. So is it like a stone henge of the sea? Sort of, yeah, on, on, the, on the sandy seabed, yeah. yeah. Do you think that's um, what humans were originally trying to do with Stonehenge then? It was. It's just well, a really. Well, it was one one strong man just just trying to flirt like I'm. Yeah. Like a weaver bird. Yeah. <laughs> Decorated it with uh, pebbles and pearls. I do like weaver birds. They're interesting. And how they Great. how they pick a particular colour as well. They're the Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen of the bird world. <laughs> they they'll like find feathers and other bits of crap, and they know they'll take plastic as well. Now that man-made oh, yeah, objects yeah. are coming into the the habitats, they they'll select like a bit of. Bottle top and yeah, obviously plastic is a you know is a is a blight on the world, but there is an awful lot of use that non-humans get out of plastic. There's lots of benefits to be had from it. I guess it's just too much of it. Yeah, they probably don't outweigh the the many negatives, yeah. but it's you know it's fair to say there are lots of positives that come from plastic. That would be an interesting episode. I think we need to explore that further in another one. Yeah, that's fair. To research, but positive plastics. Yeah, um, all right. That's that's the deal. That's good. Anyway, that that scourge might not be too far off now. There was a paper, um, just this month. Well, we're now in May, but last month, um, on uh, a natural bacterium that uh, degrades uh, polyethylene. They've been talking about this for a while. I didn't know. That... Yeah, but they've they've souped it up. They've given it like go yeah. faster stripes and like incentivized it with um, I don't know a, a college education and a, <laughs> a a pension plan. But you said it was natural. They've just is it is it natural? It's or natural. Have they and they've, they've they've ramped it up. They've they've okay. cracked the whip. So now it can really churn through the plastic. Yeah, good. Um, so I mean, the the next part of the equation is just some form of large sieving mechanism for the oceans that takes out all of the microplastic and doesn't take out all of the fish. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, which could be done. I mean... That's, more, that's easy. That's just normal sieving, isn't it? You just use a very, very fine sieve. Yeah, I, I always presumed, and if somebody wants to test this out in a bathtub, please go for it, that being in a large, salty... You know, microplastics will likely have a net negative charge, Right. So uh, they're normally uncharged, but the fact they're floating around a lot of brine, I would presume mm. that they might pick up a charge of some sort of the tiny size. Potentially, and also plastics tend to stick well to other plastics. So if you had like a slightly positively charged floating magnet of a plastic material, then you could get all these microplastics sticking to it, and then you could just scrape them off. 
The problem is you probably also get lots of other stuff stuck to it as well. The, the problem is, with that reasoning, is that microplastics have been demonstrated to disperse very readily. Um, so whatever attraction there is from charge, which I don't even know if there is one, it's being overcome by just mechanical forces right, or whatever okay. forces drive them apart. Oh, damn. Back to drawing board. That was going to make me rich and famous, Phil, somehow. No, because the other thing we invented this afternoon was it? I know. There's other smart people. but I just, I honestly think it's the kind of problem that somebody could solve in a bathtub. You know, fill your bathtub with salty water and put a load of microplastics in it and then try out a few small designs with magnets and materials and sieves and things to see if you can you can pick them yeah, up lots of things do but there, there are sieves already but um okay. you know how's they... sorry sorry yeah how's they how do they separate out the marine life then uh it's not like a the inlet isn't simple basically right. um i can't i can't tell you how they work exactly because i've only seen a bit of a video in bbc news but um you know essentially it's not easy for stuff to get in and then once the stuff gets in, it is then sieved. I guess it's a double sieving, you know, one for in, one for oh, out. Oh man, it's the best. And it pumps. It pumps as well. Um, but it is, I think, yeah, it uses some. Maybe it uses the wave energy or something to generate the pump. But um, it is carbon neutral as well, obviously, because what's the point otherwise? Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a lot of hope in future technology for these problems. I just think oh, that sure. more yeah. money needs to go into them, really. I think the banks just need to step up and like throw a load of money at renewables for the hell of it. Well, I think um, and we should probably save this more for the plastic episode. Yeah. But um, any, like taking those, you know, plastic eating bacteria, for example, any benefit <clears> that you're going to find with them is going to be outweighed by the fact of what happens when you release a swarm of it on the nation. Yeah. You know? Yeah, well, I think then they then do. How do they then mutate and evolve? That's the thing with collect- you'd have to have it in a secure environment. But then again, if you're collecting the plastic from the oceans and then treating it with the bacteria to its basic constituents, mm-hmm. and then you have things in place and better recycling um, systems that allow collection and dispersal, then I, I don't know. I see that as just a logistics issue. Yeah, um, maybe. Yeah. Biocontrols in place, it wouldn't get a general release. And to be honest, if it does get a general release and the organisms just, you know, it's it's slow enough growing that it wouldn't just dissolve your Coke bottle in front of your eyes, you know. <laughs> like, oh, no, there's not, a scourge of bacteria. Was, was that we what? can never use plastic anymore because it's evolved to be so efficient that it just spreads from bottle <laughs> no! to bottle. <laughs> plastic blight. Oh, no, the plastic blight. It's destroying <laughs> all my vinyl records, which I would cry. It could do oh, that. Oh, God. Don't let it in here. Not the fact that most of your clothes are about 80% polyester. And yeah, that just... too. We'd all, can you imagine it? It would be like some sort of strange... It would be a good sci-fi movie where all the plastic... The day the plastic got destroyed. Where a bit poorly, a ba- but, you know, never yeah. mind. The, and and uh, a bacteria that just eats all plastic. Mm. And it just suddenly disappears from the world. It sounds like a Simpsons episode, doesn't it? With the comebacks. Comeback, sink! <laughs> Could you imagine a world where there was no plastic? And we all just suddenly start... It might be like what the Beatles imagined. We all just get naked suddenly because all our clothes are polyester and then we start making out in the road. Yeah. What would you miss most if all the plastic was gone? Um, 
Hmm, that's a good question. I've never thought about it. I need to... I think there'll be so many things that it'd be difficult to... <clears throat> I think it's so integral to our life now. Yeah, unless it, but but then I mean I mean there's going to be plastic components and everything. We wouldn't have the cars. We wouldn't have um, no. But but each of those things could be replaced with something metal. Or something. Right. Well, musical instruments would be alright. Yeah, uh, and double bass would be okay. So, um, no problem that front. I could live without records, obviously. Not so <laughs> shallow as to. Um, you could dispute that. Yeah. I think I think the computers would also suffer a bit, wouldn't they? Probably computers. I think computers yeah, are so integrated into our life now with communication yeah. and everything. A lot of people's lives are completely entwined yeah, with their computer. Any sort of final computer would be a bit scuppered, wouldn't it? But I'm sure they could be redesigned without. Um... Eventually, yeah. But then you'd need to redesign them with computers because computers yeah. have reached such a point of complexity now. Yeah. It would take a while for the transition to non-plastic yeah. computers to. Yeah, because everything's coated like the silicon chips are coated in plastic. Yeah, yeah, they are, aren't they? So yeah. you need to find a, then a new material to separate. And like, I have a vague understanding of how silicon chips work. It's literally like light bouncing between grains of quartz embedded in plastic. So you don't have to find like a new embedding material for that. Yeah, but they exist, don't they? Yeah, yeah, they do. Like resins, plant resins. Yeah, resins. You've got the, the sort of the fake plastics, like the starch-based stuff as well. Yeah. Um. That would be a hard transition. I mean, you think we're suffering with the whole <laughs> pandemic at the minute, but man. Wait, plastic eating bacteria fucks with your life. Yeah, like... The, the like plastic eating bacteria that eats all plastic readily, really quickly, and everyone just starts getting naked <laughs> and all their stuff starts disappearing. Um, and it would leave a lot of bacterial biomass everywhere as well that would start rotting and it would stink. That's my main concern, which would, which, um, I was going to come to is that you've got this, you know, this this bacteria that's let loose. It's not just eating your Coke bottle in front of your eye. <laughs> what it might do the Coke is would probably kill it anyway. It's, it's, it would just disrupt the general microbiome of land, basically. Yeah, and potentially wider ecosystems, or even mutate into something that no, because it wouldn't be. Different. It wouldn't be. It's niche, right? In is eating the plastic. So as soon yeah. as it's done that, it wouldn't be able to compete with the other bacteria in the microbiome on the same terms, okay. unless unless then it was embedded with plastic. So I mean, on astroturf, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, astroturf. <laughs> That's a good point. All them um, small fields. But then, that as soon as the plastic properly, as soon as the plastic runs out, then it's no longer at a competitive advantage, and it would die, and it would be out competed by the other bacteria in the ecosystem. So I think, from a biocontrol perspective, on that point, it's not too bad but if it's spread really easily it's just the economic objective of all the plastic disappears would be i mean economically disastrous yeah and what is the waste product expected from these things i think it's just the um composite chemicals so basically be oil like, carbon. like low just get oil back I know, that'd be too perfect wouldn't it if it creates oil oh i'm just drowning in all this oil oh, that I'm... oh the oil <laughs> I think maybe it's our calling to make this film. The day yeah. the plastic disappeared. Um, I, I guess we should somehow put this back to nests. Is there anything we could talk on plastic nests? I, I, I tried. But Other than no. kinder toys. <laughs> of which I'm a yes! fan of. 
I'll do talk about that. That's good. Yeah, you do get a plastic nest. I'm proud to say I've collected all of the animals in plastic from the latest Kinder range of animals. Um, guilty pleasure. I always find it kind of ironic that you're you're getting little plastic animals. Really, it's like the one thing that's really screwing over nature. <laughs> it's like we're immortalizing a part of you screwing over nature and the thing that's screwing it over. Yeah, that's. <laughs> It's ironic. But, 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 yeah, there's there's no room for irony in toys, I guess. I suppose not. Not with the market they're going to. Um, I guess if you were to collect up all of the ocean plastic and turn it into a nest as an art piece, you would have a very large nest. You would? How much and biomass do you think is plastic now? Justifying that. How mm. much biomass? Yeah. Well, not biomass, but how much mass, solid mass? Um... <clears throat> Well, it would be whatever the oil stores were before we started using them. Yeah. Minus the petrol. I guess so. Basically. Yeah. That's so millions and millions of tons. Yeah, an absolutely enormous amount. Probably a large enough nest to cover the UK. Do you think? Probably there'll be some fact right there, like there's enough plastic to, you know, completely envelop all of the Isle of Wight or something. That sounds like a good idea. The Isle of Wight needs to be invented. The Isle of Wight is in always the subject of these um, theoretical big numbers, isn't it? Oh, a, a, an area the size of the Isle of Wight was chopped down in the Amazon in like a half hour or something. And you can fit every single person in the world on the Isle of Wight. I, I, think, I think they should ship the Isle of Wight to the Amazon once they've cleared that area. Tell you what, you said we had... I don't think I got many views at all, but you said they're all American, didn't you? A lot of them. There's a right. few Irish. So don't I would, I would the like Irish. to know, as, as long as there's some non-UKs, I would love to know, please uh, email in jeremy.banter no, at com. Yeah. I would like to know what your reference point is for ridiculously large numbers, because ours is all the, always the Isle of Wight, which is yeah. a tiny little speck of land off maybe the coast of Maybe it's Albuquerque. Ah, oh, 15 yeah. Albuquerques were uh, <laughs> decimated in a hurricane. Yesterday. You can fit all people into Albuquerque. And we've just lost all of our viewer base. Well done. Sorry. Well. Sorry. <laughs> now we have no one. What no one's sending us letters anyway. God dang it. And we're getting on, so I say we're not going to do a letters section this episode because we haven't got any letters, unless you know of anything we have to read. Uh, no, I was going to tell you about this um, very important email that I got during this podcast. Okay. And that's from Team Netflix, yeah. which is, as we all know, no reapply service customer number 71325-54614 at magicscoles.info, oh, the well-known man, Netflix so uh, customer personal. service. They love you so much. Yeah. Um, it's really pleasing they've got in contact with me, and I'm, you know, I'd be devastated if they hadn't, because actually my auto payment cannot process, full stop. Mm. Your subscription period will end on SAT, May 02, 2020. Click here, .google.com, with lots of uh, characters afterwards, to update your payment methody. Oh dear, folks. Phil's not got Please. any more Netflix from today. How Please update code? your payment methody for continue <laughs> Netflix feature, the Netflix team. So, uh, so you better you better get yourself out of arrears then. 
I'd better click on all the links they've provided, of which there are five. I think so, Netflix needs more nature and ecology programs. I know it's got a few, probably. but I noticed when we got Disney Plus recently that um, they've got like a nature section, but it seems to be just penguins. Yeah, I imagine it's all Discovery Channel. Uh, I'd like to see some older ones. I'd like to see. I'd like them to bring back some of the really early um, David Attenborough's. You know, some of his first ones when he's a young man, younger man. Good. They are still like yeah. They are now and learn the stuff. And now they're historical as well. Yeah. And you can't really find them for love nor money as a full episode. I see what was good at the moment. There's there was a series that me and my dad really enjoyed in 2002 called Weird Nature. Mm. It was. you know, at the level of David Attenborough, but not by him. Um, very good series, and they've randomly started repeating it on BBC, so it's on iPlayer now, just weird nature. Um, highly recommended. I learned most of my favourite animal facts from that programme, and not from David Attenborough, so, yeah. Big up weird nature. Okay, well, I'm firmly in the Attenborough camp, I have you know, so we're going to have to duke this out, out another time. Everyone's in the Attenborough camp, including me, but it's a strong contender, that's all I'll say. Strong contender. Okay. Well, check it out, folks. I think we're going to leave it there, aren't we? Nice one. Right, let's... Um, Big let's nest. Belated, belated net, uh, letters jingle. Uh, you had fast last time, so you can choose slow or sexy. Sexy, please. Wasn't very sexy, was no, it? No, that sounded like one note. Was it the G-string? The sexiest string? I don't think bass guitars carry very well, mate. Okay. It's plugged in. It's like going direct to your, to your headphones, but never mind. Direct to your headphones, folks. If you like Phil's music escapades, please check out his full album at, <laughs> what is it, III? No, it's, um, let me check. It's newother.bandcamp. I, That's I can't it. remember how I spelled it. New Other. You will, New get, you will get a lot other. of... Strange time signatures, even stranger, uh, non-canonical uh, chord and uh, tonalities, and and sometimes a bit of electro thrown in there too. Check it out. It's better than my jingles. It's better than his jingles, I promise. That is very true. No, not a truer thing was said today. Right, Jeremy Banter. See you Thanks next time. Bye bye.